and ride with me in my foul life. You got a new, um, before we get into this wild ass, was it New Mexico? Yeah. Okay, before we get into this wild ass elk story, um, the new podcast. Yeah. It's Remy Warren. Live Wild. Live Wild. I love the name of it. Thanks. I love saying the words eat wild, live wild. Um, You're a great podcaster. You are very good with instruction. Um, Is this like a one-man show right now to where you're doing all the... Are you, you took it on yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I previously had a podcast, and then now I just kind of... Same podcast, just new name, new place, essentially. Yeah. Um, doing the same kind of thing. But, you know, there, there's going to be, I think, in the future, a few... Uh, you know, I definitely will have a couple guests uh, for certain things, but keeping it in that vein of, like, you're here to learn something. I'll tell you a story. We'll have a little bit of entertaining story. And then, uh, you know, really diving into tips and tactics, which I think is something that I love is something that I love to do telling people you know giving people tips and tactics for hunting because well, I mean you're in the field almost every day of the yeah. hunting season and you're I was talking to a guy this morning on a call and um you ever get so into like a phone call the way you have to pull over yeah you can't even drive anymore because you're like so into it and passionate oh, yeah. about the subject matter well we were talking about just that about hunt 120 days this year hunted all over the country get to experience things that we take for granted sometimes. Oh, like for sure. You go into Argentina or New Zealand's probably not, I'm not saying that you don't get fired up, but when you just get to go over there maybe once every 20 years, yeah. let alone every year, it's a different feeling. And I think that in what the gist of what I'm trying to tell you is that we take it for granted that everybody else out there is, has experienced what we get to experience and knows what we've got to learn <laughs> through so many experiences trials tribulations everything that goes into hunting every day and people are begging for instruction we get hit up so much with like hey what was that recipe or hey what are you doing on that duck call or hey what what kind of decoy spread do you recommend for this type of hunt scenario and you just it's it's so cool that you're giving that so i guess what i'm saying remy is that i'd love to be a guest on it someday and talk about decoy spreads how, yeah, to, definitely. how to call a mallard duck yeah let's do it we'll we'll get in when once the duck season starts we'll jump in do a little bit of a, a a deep dive on bird hunting because a lot of my listeners are like i've got it's really weird it's like exactly two opposite ends of the spectrum there's guys that are like the most hardcore western big game hunters and they want to know how to do what they do better the guys that are like they live breathe eat big game hunting mostly a lot of archery hunters and then i've got guys that have like never step foot i've got people that have listened to every episode multiple times and have yet to go hunting where they're like they're just trying to gain tips and try to figure out how to get into it you know and especially like i mean i love small game hunting and that's how i got started in hunting and so i don't want to like leave that section of it out because you you can't really bridge the gap between you know these advanced tactics and the beginning tactics unless you kind of mix in a little bit of everything so that's one thing is like i want to i want to bring in kind of all aspects of hunting bow hunting rifle hunting big game small game and, and just be able to give people those tips and tactics to just be more successful i feel very fortunate to get to spend so much time out there and i learn a lot of things that the only way you're going to learn it is take time and i almost feel like it's it's my responsibility to be able to share that with people because if i can cut if you get three days to hunt a long weekend to hunt and that's your major hunt i want you to be as successful as the guy that has three weeks to hunt because he learned something that you didn't, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think that. it's a great approach. And I think that there's nobody, I brag about our friendship all the time and, and how good of a hunter you are um, just by the way you, that you present yourself and how much respect you have 
for the resource, the compassion for the animals, the wild game cooking. Um, you know, there's just people that you meet and you know they do it right and that that's the way that you want to do it or um, at least have a chance to learn how to do it that way. And I think that that's where the, the lifestyle needs to go is that all-encompassing deal of you can't be – you're going to be nervous. You're going to have a, a, some – factors of intimidation you know you go on your first el- archery elk hunt oh, there's yeah. going to be a lot that intimidates you you go on your first mallard duck hunt and you have you've never done it before and you're figuring out like well i read something about the wind and the barometric pressure is the sun supposed to be at my back do i want clouds or do i want sun what what did they say about shadows how do i use shadows to my advantage and and you know all of that stuff there's so many different parts of the puzzle oh, yeah. that you have to go all the time to get it Yep. You have to. You can't go on one hunt every year and say, I'm going to go to Canada and hunt for five days and learn everything there is. I mean, it takes seasons and seasons. And that's why we are fortunate to get invited to a lot of the places we go to. I mean, I remember talking to you before you were going to Asia on a hunt. You were going to Australia on a hunt. You've hunted the New Zealand. Have you hunted both islands of New Zealand? Uh, no, just South Island. Just the yeah. South Island. I mean, you've hunted all over the world. Yeah. Not, not many people get to say that. Yeah. I did hunt with the president of SCI. Laird Hamlin, he's hunted in 67 countries. Wow. He's 56. That's, That's crazy. it. 56 years old, 67 countries. That's I'm like, cool. I think I've hunted in like nine. Yeah. It's great. You've probably hunted way more than that. But um, so that was pretty cool. But speaking of archery elk, I'm going to tell you what I've heard in, you know, the rumor mill. And I just want to know what is right and what's wrong. And then I want to hear the story in a real quick nutshell. Yeah. You guys are hunting. You're in an area that you didn't even think held very big of bulls. It was more of an area to where, you know, there's a lot of elk there, but it might not be considered a quote-unquote trophy section where you're going to kill a 350 or whatever you deem a a trophy, okay? I know the trophy's in the eye of the beholder. You guys are hunting, not having a bunch of luck on a day. I think you cut for lunch, or you're getting ready to cook a lunch, or you're getting ready to do some cutaways or B-roll for the hunt, or some instruction on what we're going to get to today of one of our mutual partners, Meet Your Maker, the, the grinders and the vacuum seat and everything that we're that we've we've even worked together on a few recipes with me but you're worth with their crew and all of a sudden you did something like a call or something and you hear a bugle and am i close with that story or how did it work yeah yeah it was like i mean yeah like you said it's not it wasn't we weren't in like a big bull area you know it's just somewhere uh I, i really wanted to hunt because i used to guide near that area and uh just never had the opportunity to hunt it myself so thought it'd be cool to go down there and 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 good opportunities potentially but you know it was one of those you're like we when we started when they were like oh let's film this hunt and i was like well i've got this tag but i was like i don't even know if we're going to be success you know there's some hunts where you're like oh yeah this is a slam dunk hunt it's like this hunt wasn't that it was an earlier season it was there's a lot of things working against us and i was like you could shoot either sex you could shoot a cow or a bull a spike anything and i was like we might not be successful so let's like film some stuff ahead of time so we did we filmed like some making our own dehydrated meals just in case the hunt was like a bust and then we at least came away with something you know so we made our own meals and then took them into the field with us and uh yeah that earlier that day had an encounter with a nice six point and then it just didn't work out and you're thinking some on a lot of elk hunts you get one opportunity you know and i'm like all right we this area we kind of like you know hunted it we had our one opportunity and that kind of sucked and so i was just like looked pulled out my map i got like the my go hunt maps you know pulled it out and uh i'm like all right where's the place that's the furthest from the road most pain in the ass to get to and we're probably nobody's hunting and i'm like we're just gonna walk there and then start kind of trying to strike up a bull in the middle of the day you know so sometimes bulls will go off and they, they bed and if you get within a certain range of them and get them to call 
then their their responses can be to get up and come check it out because this area is really thick. So uh, we get in there, we hike in there, you know, making calls every hundred, couple hundred yards, nothing. Sit down for lunch. I made this like lucky fruit roll up that was shaped like a little elk design in it, you know. So I'm like, oh yeah, that's my problem. Didn't eat the lucky fruit roll up. Eat the fruit roll up. We're kind of like talking, making call, whatever. Walk down the trail about 300 yards, let out another call, bull bugles. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm kind of like, the cameras are actually rolling. We just happen to be filming already. And I'm like, all right. I look at him, I'm like, okay, if I call again and he calls back, then I know we're going to have a bull that wants to play. Like, we're going to be able to call him in. I call, and he called at half the distance he was before. And I look at the guys. I'm like, get in the bushes. We get in the bushes. 45 seconds later, the biggest bull in my life walks out. And he, he walks out, and then, we, like, the, it was really thick in there. And he's standing about 47 yards. And I'm like, he's going to come right to us, but the wind starts to swirl. And he starts putting his nose up in the air. I'm like, this is it. Like, I got to shoot. I got a football size opening to shoot through. So you can't tell the size of his antlers at this point? Oh, time? no. I, I saw, I got a good look at him, but I, you know, I was more, fo- it was like, no, I didn't like get to judge him real well. I just said giant bull, you know? So like, let me ask you this before you tell me about the shot and the release of the arrow. In all of your experiences of elk hunting, can you tell that this bull's worth messing with by the sound of his bugle? Can you tell the difference in bugles? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the sound of the bugle and then kind of like the cadence and the way that they reply to something. So, um, you know, being the middle of the day and him bugling, like I knew that a lot of times what they'll do is they might, if they're interested, they'll bugle from their bed. And the way that he responded, it was like, okay, he bugled, but it was so far away and so faint. It was like, okay, well, is he just bugling? I couldn't tell if he was bugling to my call or if he was bugling like just in another elk or doing his own thing. And we just happened to hear it. Right. So I waited a few seconds. It was like, okay, now we're going to see what happens. So I, I actually let out a cow call, which, cause I knew it wouldn't have as much volume to see is like, is he listening to us or is he like responding to something just on his own? And then he bugled half the distance of where he was before. It's like, Oh, he's coming in. He heard us. He knows where we are. Now it's time to play the game and, and call him in. And wow, we didn't cool. have to do much else after that. Got in the bushes, got set up. Now it's like game time. And it's like, just happened like that. And, uh, I saw him coming in and I thought big bull, you know, I was like, that's a, that's a good bull. I was, I would have probably shot a raghorn at this point. So I'm like, sweet, awesome, good bull. Don't need to pay much attention to the antlers have this little football size opening to shoot through the sun was shining on him everything else was kind of dark and uh it happened to be 47 yards which is the exact distance that i it's like my home pin like when i'm at home i set my pin at 47 because when i step out my back door my first target's 47 so i shoot that like 300 times a day you know what i'm saying probably not 300 but well it depends on the day uh i shoot that distance a lot because it's like the one when i'm doing whatever i'm working or whatever i just step out shoot five or ten arrows go back inside you know so i was like oh perfect draw back and i was like the only trouble was i was a little tiny opening so i'm thinking to myself oh i gotta thread the needle and out loud i say i hope i don't hit that branch (laughs) and then let her rip you know i had to kind of move a little bit to get the angle right and i knew that it would be pretty good or i was hoping so there's no ground shrinkage on this when you walk no man i i didn't even know how big he was and as i walked up i didn't know that he was a seven by seven uh maybe 15 yards just just yeah perfect double shot and what what, he's seven by seven yeah seven by seven i was like no freaking way i knew he was big and then i was like no freaking way and even when i saw him on the ground he's like you know you don't want to think like oh that how big i don't know kind of like he looks really big but i'm like well there aren't generally bulls like this as big as i think this bull is here so i'm like okay it's a big bull 
And then we're like, oh, we're kind of thinking like, oh man, he looks big and oh yeah, his body didn't seem that big. And then I go to when we're cutting him up, pull off the first quarter and it's like the heaviest elk quarter. And I go, then it really put everything into perspective. I was like, he's a giant, he's giant. huge body, huge antlers. Like even with that big body, his antlers looked big. You know, you're like, oh What'd my gosh. What'd you age him at? Uh, I don't know. I, I would assume he's probably 10 years old. So he's been living in that country for a yeah, long time. Probably. Nobody ever said we're going to walk to the furthest. Uh, you know what's funny is after I shot that bull, somebody sent me a trail cam picture of it. No way. Yeah. Public yeah. property? Yep. Uh, when you start referring to that time of the day, and I'm saying this because of the time of year it is right now, springtime, we both love chasing wild turkeys. It, the rut's not on or is it, in, is it on during this time? Yep. It's, it's on, but it's one of those things that could be hit or miss depending on weather because early – so like – you know, it just depends where you are. I've had bulls bugling in mid-August and then all the way through early October. But I would say the prime generally is like middle of the last, like the last, the third week in September is generally when it like is prime. So sometimes if you got an early season, like beginning of September, you might miss the rut completely. Sometimes if you got a late one, you might, same deal. Maybe it happened early, maybe it happened late. So this particular year was a really wet year and it was really cold early in September. So everything kind of lined up perfect. Whereas most years it's not like that. So I always tell people, Remy Warren, that I love chasing turkeys at 10 a.m. I don't, I'm not a big guy of the roost. I'm not a big guy of, I love going and scouting them and I like putting them to bed, but I'm just not really into turkey hunting, like in the dark and trying to get as close to the roost trees I can and hoping they fly down and see your decoy and hear your call. I kind of like that idea of what you just explained to where they go and they get their first hand in the morning and then they go and they kind of just mosey on into the woods looking for a shade tree to lay down under. And then they hear that call at 10 a.m. And they're like, oh, I'm going to get another one. And then, boom, they seem so aggressive. They seem like if you, you know, it's almost like yeah. that bull bugling in his bed, that 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 tom turkey jumps up and is like, oh, really? She's, you know, she's close to me and I'm going to go check this out. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in the turkey woods, but I love, that's my favorite kind of turkey hunting is more of a running gun style of cutting them at like 10 or 11 after they're off their first hand. They're out of the sunshine. They're done fanning and strutting all morning. And they're kind of just, you know, moseying back off to be by themselves for the rest of the day. Yeah, it, it's it's a really good tactic for elk because in the mornings and evenings, they're moving around so much that it seems like you can never catch up or never catch them off guard. The the hard part about it is like, you know, elk country can be really big and where they decide to go can be a few places and your sound doesn't travel that well in those kind of places. So it's like you've got to be – it's almost kind of like a little bit of a luck thing too where it's like you've got to be covering a lot of country. You know, you got to get into where they're at. And so – you know, you might miss them by 300 yards and then they never heard you and you never call them in. But when it works out, it's a really Magic. successful. Yeah, it's like, well, that worked out great. So did you eat any of the tenderloin and backstrap that night and share it with the meat your maker people? Oh, yeah, yeah. We cooked it up. I had one of those. Um, it's like a like a grate you can cook over the fire. Come Brio makes some, but it's like a, this thing you could cook right over the fire with it. And we made campfire. This 10-year-old elk tenderloin tastes good? I'll tell you what. That was like the best. That bull was incredible eating. Really? Yeah, it was. Sagebrush elk at 10 years old can still be good. Yeah. Yeah. No sage there, though. No Pretty, sage? No, not a lot of sage. Is more it farm like, country? Nope. More like uh, mountain country, you mountain know, country. like pine, pine forest mostly. So, pine forest. Yeah, thick pines. So w- when you... 
have an animal that big, we've both experienced some of this meet your maker product with, you know, we've done snow goose, me, you and wise and clay. We did all that sausage in the, the chorizo and the breakfast sausage. We did street tacos and all this type of stuff. There's a lot of meat on an elk. Oh yeah. Um, this product line of you're going to get you know on any steer that's a lot smaller than a wild elk you're going to be looking at 250 pounds of ground off of a a regular beef domestic steer right yeah an elk are you getting are you one of these guys and i know you love wild game like we alluded to but do do you eat any of the the weird stuff on an elk are you a heart guy a liver guy a tongue guy or do you try to go out of your comfort area or the per se quote-unquote comfort area do you try the brain do you try any of the stuff that you're like oh that's kind of that's kind of different when you when you kill an animal like that oh yeah well i mean my favorite cut is the tongue i think that's the elk best. tongue oh yeah i think that's the best piece of meat on a game animal every game animal every game antelope animal. yeah i mean so, yeah because it's just not very much on an antelope so like actually when we're guiding I always, like with clients or whatever, every bowl that they get, I'm like, hey, do you mind if I keep the tongue? Most people are like, yeah, no problem. And then I started cooking it in camp, and then people started taking the tongues. I'm like, damn it, because I'd end up with, like, a bunch of tongues at the end of the season, and you can make, like, a pretty good – we'd make, like, a – I like to make a tongue stew. Like a red sauce also, um, like they would more do More like a brown tongue? gravy stew. Um, and then I also like to do, like, this elk tongue poutine with the so with do like a party yeah it's so good like i don't know because i like to do i like to do some stuff in slow cookers and the tongue it's just like it's got that fat content it's got like this buttery smooth texture when you slow cook it i don't know i think there's nothing better in my opinion but um, i love beef tongue yeah i love tongue yeah it's good I've, i had just had some that was uh in argentina last week uh we did it like a almost like a pickled uh, escabiche kind of way like they kind of it's like a pickled elk tongue man that was good i really? never had that before it was so they just let phenomenal. it simmer in some lime juices and stuff yep. so they boil it and then peel it and then thinly slice it and then um and then put it in like a, a vinegar like a little bit of salt vinegar kind of mix like you'd be making pickles do you when you do your slow cook style um do you boil it first and membrane and take the membrane off of it as well or is it i don't i generally just skin it like you'd skin a fish you know i take the the you you maybe have a little more loss that way but i just kind of like skin skin it out like you'd take the skin off a fish essentially use a like a fillet knife and skin it out and then i chop it up and then i uh, brown it and then i slow cook it so what, what we've been doing all for the last four months is you know we travel with these trailers and these rigs and we're got our decoys in there or whatever you might you know need for waterfowl hunting but we've been carrying all of our meat gear with us so every camp i've gone to i've been i don't know if the words are showing off like how easy it is to with snow geese in the spring season you kill 150 snow geese in a day oh yeah i mean there's nothing better for ground you stop at the store we're getting bacon we're getting pork butt we're getting i mean sometimes pork chops some of these small towns you can't go to the butcher and get whatever we can you know have our easily accessible here as far as pork fat goes but man you talk about something that's handy in camp if you have a way to get it in camp have you been doing any of that on your big game stuff to where you're taking this stuff with you and actually processing in camp? Oh yeah, definitely. I've got like, uh, you know, I got a kind of, kind of like you said, like I got a little trailer set up with it and stuff like that. Um, if I t- happen to take that, otherwise I just bring a vacuum sealer, take the pieces, vacuum seal it, and then bring it back like that. Cause it's just last better. And then, and then just process it at home. But yeah, for duck hunting like the snow geese man that's perfect just get a little butcher trailer going and 
grind it right there. I mean, yeah. Well, we, uh, those are like some of the best way to eat snow geese. See, sure. I've been I've been talking. I don't know if you've ever studied the legalities of migratory birds, and I know that you stay legal, but like if you came to camp, like we were in Nebraska, and we hammered the Canada geese, and I did a bunch of Canada goose burritos and a bunch of pizza meat and all this stuff and we ate it right there in camp yeah well then there's this other group there that's hunting with this guy and they're like we want to take a bunch of that home can we and i'm like ooh, that's where it gets tricky yeah so if you're a commercial processor right and you have a receipt i'm a receipt from a commercial processor that has a a license to to, to butcher and process migratory game then you could carry that home and it's legal, right? You could like right. go to California and have a receipt from a, uh, a place like in Gridley, they got a great one called the Gridley Bar and then they have a processing plant there and you can get your birds done. And as long as you have a receipt, you don't have to, you know, you, you can say that those have been processed and that they've been processed by a, a commercial processor to where as opposed, if you just pluck them and you, care, and, you, and you grind them up yourself and you have it in a vacuum seal bag. Yeah. And you're not a licensed processor. My recollection of the law, or my interpretation of the law, is you can't travel across state lines or transport that meat if it's not done through a commercial processor. So you can process it and, and take your meat grinder, you know, by the make your meat company and, and make street tacos and eat them that night. But if you get the vacuum sealer out and vacuum seal a bunch of it, that's where I'm kind of in a in a gray area now. Could Remy Warren put a bunch of that in his cooler and take off home? Oh That's, yeah, because you'd have to have a, a wing a, attached. A wing on yeah, right. for identification. So you, you can pluck them and then vacuum seal them, but you just got to leave the wing on. This is the way that hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, you yeah. have to have an identification yep. wing on. So it's like you're killing 150 snow geese a day, and there's no limit on them. Okay, there's no limit on a snow goose in the spring season. Yeah, there's. I don't know. There's tons of rules in the spring that don't apply in the fall or full rules in the fall that don't apply in the spring oh, yeah. you can use electronic collars you don't have to choke in your gun you don't have to have a choking gun there's no limits in most states i think all i think all states have no limit on snow geese that have a season now for the spring and i'm wondering like do they care if you process them all up and if they don't care how many you kill why would they care how you transport them is my point so they can tell that you're not out there shooting specks or canada geese i can see that yeah. But if you're like in camp and, and you're there for 10 days and you're trying to do the government a favor by saving the tundra and the breeding grounds by killing as many snow geese as you can, I, I'm thinking like, well, do you guys really care if we grind this all up and put it in vacuum seal bags and put it in the freezer? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. can you legally carry that home? There's so many gray areas. When you start talking about this product line from meat, it makes it so easy to get rid of. You go to Canada with a, our trailer and you, you're killing eight Canada geese per man per day. And you got eight guys in camp with you, which a lot of Americans travel in big bunches up there. You're killing 64 geese a day. Can you grind them up and bring them back into America that way? Like, you, you can't. You got to make sure that you read the laws and know that just because you see us doing it on TV and we're grinding it up and eating it there, please don't interpret that is that you can just freeze it all at camp and then transport it back to your house. It's, it's illegal to do that. Yeah. Because of the because of the identification and the transportation laws that go into migratory wa migratory waterfowl with elk, I don't you I don't see that that's not not an issue with elk. No, nah, because you just keep the tag with the meat, you know, so you, you process it. However, whether you take it to a butcher or process it yourself, it doesn't it doesn't make a difference, you know, yeah. as long as you have your tag and whatever with it. So, yeah, that's a little bit different. I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, though, I I end up just like quartering the pieces out, getting big chunks. 
vacuum sealing it and then taking it home and, and doing it at home, you know. How many days a week when you are in your mode of wild game prep, how many days a week are you using this product line uh, for Meet Your Maker? Oh, I mean, a lot. It depends on, you know, like the vacuum sealer I use all the time. That thing's legit. Yeah. Um, especially the chain. They got a back. new one coming out too. Yeah, right? yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been using that. I mean, even like you like you cut an avocado and you use half of it, and I just I've got my essentially I just keep it in like the pantry, and then I just throw the avocado in that thing, and you know it's just like for random stuff like that too. Um, you know the processing grinding. I try to do all my grinding like as few times as possible, um, so I like you know like per animal or if i know i like got a, a hunt where i like i only had a little bit of grind from this then i might save a couple pieces of grind and then pull it out do the grind do the sausage do it all at once you know and then that way it's like you know one cleanup process um, the grinder and stuff but then i've got like i'll throw up the dehydrator and do jerky quite often now sounds um, like fruit roll-ups too did fruit, you make these oh, with, yeah. the, with the roll-ups uh all kinds of like backcountry meals and and then even if i've got like if i've got Let's say I make like burrito bowls and I'll just do like, I'm making it. So I'll make an extra, like I'm making burritos one night. Well, I'll just do a, a triple batch. Cause I'm like, if it's already out, you got it. And then I've got the dehydrator right there and I'll just throw it on the dehydrator tray. And then sweet. I've got a meal for the back country, vacuum seal it. Good to go. And yeah. I actually just, I don't have to store those in the freezer, but I just store them in the freezer. Just They just got get a your, dehydrated bit, yeah. beef, your dehydrated elk. Yep. And then you take that into the back country, put it over boiling water or something. Yep. And, and pour boiling it water in it, pour it in a pot, and you've got a meal. It's like, you got a meal. Yeah, if you're, you know, in a little bit of a... Do I sense a new business that you're starting here with uh, Remy Warren Backcountry Meals? Backcountry Meals, maybe. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> no. like uh, live wild, live wild that, The amount of difficult, like, time that it takes, though, you're kind of like, ah, shoot. Are you so organizational obsessed? Meaning that if I open your pantry door and I'm cooking with you at your place, are you organizational obsessed to where you know where every single thing goes in its place? Oh, I wish. I actually don't even have a, I, I call it a pantry, but I don't even have a pantry in my house. It's just all open shelving, yeah. which with a baby that's about to crawl, it's real dangerous. Like real I, gotta, dangerous. I gotta build a, I gotta put in something now. So are you, as a whole, are you very organized? I know that we've talked uh, about your packing, how much you procrastinate when you even pack to go to like New Zealand. It's like the, yeah. a couple hours before your plane leaves. I, I like I like the idea of organization. I think in, in actuality, it doesn't always pan out that way. You I know? love an organized freezer is where yeah. I'm going with this. When you open your freezer now and you see all of this vacuum sealed labeled, the labels on this product are awesome for what we do. Yeah. I just take a lot of pride in having the freezers laid out. And I've been going through, I got multiple freezers now because yep. during the pandemic, they were almost impossible to get. So we yeah. were like taking, buying everyone we could get our hands on or a lead on. But I've made it a goal now to get through everything in them yeah. and like start a very stout organizational process to where nothing goes to waste. Yeah, the best way, I, I've also got a couple extra freezers as well. And because, you know, the chest freezer, I actually got an upright freezer because it's a little bit easier to you know, access certain things. Cause when you've got the chest freezer, you know, things get like new stuff always goes on the top. So I've got like a rotation system with my freezers where new stuff goes in this freezer and then the old stuff that way it brings the older stuff to the top, you know, make it, yeah. make it easier to find. Um, and then, you know, and then the upright freezer, I generally do like the specialty stuff that I do. Like, so it's like top shelf, like, uh, sometimes ground sausage, middle shelf, sticks and other things you know and then maybe like burger from elk and then random roasts and other stuff like that um that makes it easy are you eating access. wild game every single day of your life i would 
probably for the most part. Have you figured out how to make wild game baby food? Yeah, that was the first thing my daughter ate was elk. Okay, tell me what you did here. With so the- for that, I mean, we just uh, essentially I like I, I did it in the pressure cooker, um, just like some elk steaks, just pieces of meat, whatever it was. Uh, pressure cooked it, so no seasoning or anything like that, and then just put it in the um, like a food processor with a little bit of like milk baby you know whatever kind of milk formula whatever you got and then just blended it up do you add vegetables to the, the I didn't, food process no not on that one um so your infant is eating elk meat oh yeah with no her, teeth. her first her first real food was elk and now you know now we do like burger and stuff like that because she's getting a little bit older but um yeah when it was like it was just like baby food she loved it she's that is so oh, cool yeah yeah, was, she's like, oh, yeah. She would see us eating. Like, whenever we would cook meat, she would definitely, like, perk up a little bit and get really interested. She's a so, carnivore. Oh, yeah. We should, like, <laughs> the other day I gave her – she'll eat whatever. But, yes, or was it yesterday was the first time she refused anything. It was like uh, – I don't know why, but she we had uh, – we've been giving her mangoes, but we just peel it, and then, like, she eats off the seed or whatever inside. I guess it was like a super sour mango. She pushed it away, and then it was like, I can't remember what else. We had some kind of meat, and she's like, just goes for the meat. I'm like, okay, that's my daughter for sure. Not that I don't like mangoes, but I always opt for meat first. You hunt in Hawaii quite a bit. Yeah. What is spam? Uh, Spam? Like, what is it? Yeah. Canned ham. So have you mastered this yet with... Have you tried anything that would be relatable to a spam? I know that you love Hawaii. You kill pigs over there. You kill the deer over there. You've killed the turkeys over there. You fish over there. Do you eat spam when you're over there? No. Do you like spam? It's not bad. It's. Uh, are you a ham fan? Let's get that yeah, out. I like ham. Yeah. So on Easter this weekend, will you eat a ham? Or are you more of a prime rib guy or that kind of guy? Uh, or is it going to be wild game? If there are probably be wild game but if they're if i go somewhere or whatever we they've got a ham yeah I eat ham. you I like, like ham okay yeah, so we both like ham yeah i'm not a big spam fan but it lasts forever it it oh, keeps yeah. forever super salty super salty yeah. it's almost like sardines you know yeah. like you open that can of sardines by the way dude i've been i got to give you um i've been doing this new anchovy recipe do you like yeah. anchovies yeah they're all right yeah i like anchovies but i got this this new little recipe from some italian friends in california yeah I'll give you a jar of them too. They're legit. Um, but anyway, I've been I've been trying to figure out kind of that backcountry mode of of stuff that will keep you know dehydrated foods, yep. things of that nature. Um, salt is a big part of preservation in a lot of things. Yeah, and I, I'm seeing is with a lot of the recipes that I've been trying. I've been trying to use a lot of dry rubs that aren't salt heavy. Yeah. Um, and everybody can obviously add salt later. So my point is, is that when you're giving tips on on wild game preparation and food that'll keep, I don't think that you necessarily need to be so salt heavy all the time in a lot of your recipes or a lot of your vacuum sealed meals that you prep or whatever. Yeah. You can always add that later. And salt is one thing that you can't take back. For you know sure. what I'm saying? Oh, and when yeah. you get something that hits you, like, oh, my gosh, like, it almost ruins the meal for me. Yeah. And that's how why spam, I was like, how are you guys, like, I've seen people, like, make spam sandwiches. And oh, I'm like, yeah. how are you just eating that without cutting it or, like, <laughs> you know, doing it, cutting it with something? Yeah. And, like, I've seen one guy, he was eating a spam and head cheese sandwich on white bread. And I'm like... You got to be desperate. Like you got <laughs> like just to come up with that combination, you got to be desperate to eat that. And I just salt is a I've been trying to figure out how to make foods taste really good 
with less salt. Yeah. And I made some mallard duck the night before last or three nights ago. I've been trying to master this Asian. I love Asian food. Oh, yeah. And I love high heat wok style cooking. Mm-hmm. And man, I smoked it with too much salt. Oh. And I knew I was when I did it. I'm like, why did I just add that in there? Because I tasted it and I threw a little, and I'm like, I think I overdid it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the, the only complaint I got that, and it was still good. It was still edible. It wasn't my best, but salt ruins meals as much as it, you know, as, as much as it kind of advances a meal in a lot of oh, people's. Yeah. Like I see people adding way too much salt, and I don't know if that's a sign that they don't know how to cook or if they've just been conditioned to add salt and pepper to everything. Yeah, probably. You know, I, it always like it's sometimes like Tabasco. You, you know when somebody like gets something and then the first thing they do is they grab the salt and put it on the sale. Yeah. It's like you don't know what that. You're poisoning yourself, probably. Like you Poison. have no clue. You have no clue how salty it is. Not that I. I mean, I love salt. Like it's probably one of the. If you were like, you can pick one seasoning. Of course, it's going to be salt. Like oh, yeah. it's, it's it's awesome. It's a meal maker. But it's also you're right. Like if you overdo it, like it can be rough. Yeah. And the thing about the along the same lines is the and we I think we've touched on this before, but all these pepper sauces well you know tabasco is the most famous one of all time there's several good hot sauces tom out here is a a self-proclaimed sauce guy yeah my brother made homemade elk soup for lunch today you got to take it's awesome i didn't even think about putting salt in it he's dousing it with tabasco (laughs) and i'm like you know you haven't even tasted the soup yet i don't understand why we get this premonition or this conditioning in us of like our tyson who you hunted with our guy tyson our videographer I've never seen a guy put hot sauce on more. Th- you get a you get a tongue burrito at a, a a good Mexican restaurant, and he doesn't even taste what's in the burrito because you can't get past that that taste of a strong pepper sauce that's salted down with the peppers and everything. You can't that it takes over, and people just douse their food with it. And I almost take offense to it. I'm almost like, dude, you're pissing me off that you're dousing that. I made the Traeger pizza and they're dipping it in ranch without even tasting the pizza first. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get upset. I'm exaggerating a little yeah. bit. But don't you think that you owe it to yourself to at least taste the wild game pizza or the wild game soup before you douse it with some kind of hot sauce or ranch dressing or something? Or oh, are you a sure. sauce guy too? I mean, I love my condiments. Let's. I'm you not going to lie. But uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on what it is, man. I always like... Uh, I always try to taste what it is first. You know, like I, I love sushi. I eat sushi. Like I don't. I feel like it's like why would I dip it in soy sauce? I'm a no soy guy. Yeah, you got to like you got to taste the sushi. Now, if I want it spicier, I always just throw straight wasabi on it. Yeah. But yeah, like I, when you're you eating sushi, the wasabi soy mixture should be a paste. It should look like a brown tinted greenish brown paste for sure. And you look at these these bowls, it's just filled to the brim with soy, which is all salt. I mean, they even have the green lid one where you know at night they're taking yeah. off and filling it with the same big bottle, <laughs> right? Let's not fool ourselves. <laughs> like, you're not saving any sodium in that green bottle, in my opinion. But the flavor's still there. And soy does taste good. But I know I know two people that are soy freaks that have to have the, the maximum amount of soy. Oh, yeah. Soy sauce on it. I'm more, I like, I'm becoming more of a connoisseur of good ginger and it really does clean, cleanse your palate in between bites, which is yeah. what ginger was meant to do in the sushi world. And they say that in Japanese culture, you probably know this better than I do, it's degrading or um, um, insulting to dip your, dip your fish and rice rice side down. You tap your fish side into the soy mixture. If you choose to use soy, you, dip your, you tap your fish in it. But you see a lot of Americans, they'll like use their chopsticks and they'll just sit it in their rice side down and let it sit there and take a bath for a couple minutes yeah. <laughs> before they pick it back up. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You don't even taste the fish when there's that much soy sauce on it. Yeah, that's true. You can't. So anyway, I think that it's like against sushi culture to actually... Soy it up. 
soy it up on the rice side yeah. to where that rice so- soaks in all of that salt and all of that soy. But um, are you when you're when you start talking about the grind, are you do you always grind with a filler? And the reason I ask is that I just got these Canada goose sticks. We have a friend up in Torrington, Wyoming. Natalie Fox owns a company called Foul Habits. Her and her, she's got a, a degree in zoology. And her and her husband, he's an outfitter, um, started a company called Foul Habits to butcher and process ducks and geese legally in, in Wyoming, where the main outfitter up there is called Wyobraska, J.J. Randolph, and they are busy. So anyway, I they we got them hooked up with meat. They're using meat. They're using Traeger. I got to give you some of our meat sticks. It's 100% Canada goose. You can get them cheddar, jalapeno, whatever you want, but no filler. Yeah. Have you done this quite a bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the, like, it depends what I'm making. Um, certain things I definitely grind with no fat. If it's something that I'm going to be like, oh, burgers, then I throw some filler in there. But, you, I mean, even if it doesn't stick together, you can use a lot of different stuff as binders, too. I mean, you can use egg as a binder. You can use, if you want it, you know, if it's like you're making burgers and it's not sticking together, you know, you can do, I like access deer, I think so good. A lot of times I don't add any pork fat or anything to the grind, just grind it straight, you know, for tacos and stuff. It doesn't need to stick together for burgers. If it's not sticking together, you can throw a little bit of egg white in there or whatever, you know, a few different things. Do you use breadcrumbs? Um, every once in a while, not all the time. I'm not though. a breadcrumb guy for burger. I don't know. I, one egg's not bad though. Yeah. Egg's a good binder if you need it. Some yeah. beef or some wild Some stuff game, just sticks together. You, you got better, yeah. good fat content in there. Yeah. But do, tell me um, a, a good non-filler recipe that you've used for any of that, of sausage or pepperoni or are you making your own, are you making your own quarters you know if you take it a quarter are you making those kind of pepperoni sticks that you could slice up and put on a pizza oh yeah stuff like that yep yeah yeah i mean i would say like snack sticks probably is the best with a little bit you know and you don't have too much fat content in them and they uh they tend to you know dry you just gotta like adjust your times a little bit because when you've got the fat in there it takes a little bit longer you know to um to actually just smoke them right but yeah, did some quite a few blacktail snack sticks last year. Just no bind, no no fat added. Just the meat in the snack sticks. Did a bunch of different ones. Um, I don't know what was the best the teriyaki mandarin teriyaki one. I used well, a little good. bit of a binder in them. Um, I think it was a uh, it was like a carrot powder. That works. It's a, like a really good binder if you don't want to add in like um, a, what you call it. Uh, if you don't want to add in like flour or anything like that, you know what I mean? Just like go, but it's got other Some stuff. Some kind of starch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they actually sell it as a binder. It's like, it's there's like a meat binder for snack sticks. So you get that like firm texture and it actually makes the product a little bit better in the end. And I think it was just, it's like a combination of carrot powder and something else. Cornstarch? I don't know if it, it you can use cornstarch. I think the, the carrot powder is just like a little bit better. Better. Yeah. Have you ever tried that on chicken wings? cornstarch or carrot powder cornstarch no like if you mix the cornstarch with your rub or your seasoning and it gives it that more of a of a brown kind oh of, yeah, yeah, yeah it almost yep. tastes like a breading on there but it's yeah. not really a breading you know yep. you're not dipping it in a big flour based breading or anything yeah. but it, it, it i mean it adds it adds some carbs but yep. it does it, it's it's pretty flavorful yeah I'm, I'm more of a just a i'm a dry rub wing guy i'm not a big sauce guy that that needs them doused in a bunch of stuff. When you when you're talking about the the actual equipment and that meat's making, doesn't it give you like this new fascination with discovery of of what you can do? Like you've been really good at that about 
being unorthodox in your approach to wild game, which is so important. Oh, yeah. Because if you get tied down to just one recipe, like I don't know how many times I go to duck camp and what's the number one recipe that they're like, oh, we make the best duck poppers in the oh, world. Yeah, and I'm like, sure. okay, cool. You got jalapeno. I can't stand cream cheese, so I try to stay away from that. But then you got your bacon and everything. And poppers can be awesome. But there's so much more that you can do with ducks, with wild game. And one of the things that we've been doing a lot are using wet, wet and dry brines. Yep. Are you a briner? Have you tried any pastrami recipes with any of your wild game? Yeah, actually, uh, we made uh, – well, my buddy's got a really good recipe for corned beef, essentially. So we've been corning a lot of elk. Um, those Ooh, that are, sounds good. That's really good. Can I get some of that? Yeah. And then the other Did thing – Did you bring I, some today? You usually should bring I, me I, a gift. Yeah, if... I should have brought some. The other thing is, like, uh, what I've been doing, I've actually got uh, – I'm defrosting right now a big – so I like to cut my pieces into, ro- like, roast so I can do stuff later with them. So I've got, like, all the um, sirloin roast and everything from one elk. I just did, like, roasted it up. And then I'm just pulling them out, and I'm going to brine that one. Uh, pretty much just a pretty simple kind of salt brine, a little bit of flavor in it, then season it, brown it, and then roast it in the oven. And then I've got that meat slicer, the made with meat slicer, and just slicing lunch meat with have it. Have to have it for yeah. lunch meat. It's a great Yeah, just slice it, slice lunch meat, and then just vacuum seal it. And it's so it's like using it in those ways where you use it in every, <coughs> sorry, in every like facet yeah. of whatever if you've seen the price of lunch like meat french soon? dip sandwich you can oh, go man, me whatever you know it's like Rubens, i don't know just, french dip yeah, I mean, or even just like i'm a big fan of just pulling meat and cheese you know like meat and oh, cheese yeah. snacking on it like whatever. a charcuterie board is that yeah how you pronounce whatever that word? or just like you know just like a sandwich without bread kind of thing it is it's yeah. the greatest way to be and you, yeah. if you've seen the price of lunch meat lately like I'm not one of those guys that's going to get on a high horse and be like, I can't believe inflation, but it's it's happening. Oh, yeah. And as a hunter, here we go again, you know, when the pandemic hit and no, and you couldn't get meat because yep. everybody was hoarding. I don't know how much meat I gave away and was happy to share. Yeah. And now here you go again. People are coming back around like, man, have you seen the price of this? And, you know, and we, I've been I made these nachos the other night that were unreal wild game nachos with just that same style of and where i'm going with this is i have to ask your opinion on this i know we're coming to an end and i love the meat product i love everything every product they make and it gives you a world of possibilities endless possibilities in cooking and i think that you're really good at that we're trying to be more unorthodox with our approach um but when you when you think about the tongue when you think about pulled pork we do a ton of pulled goose sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Great recipe. Onion buns, maybe one slice of cheese, some good pickles. Clay's doing his own cucumbers and all of his own pickles. Spicy. He's doing the 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 um, oh, bread and butter pickles. I mean, they're awesome. Sweet pickles, everything. Is a crock pot or a pressure cooker cheating? In Remy Warren's opinion, no. It's a. It's just a simpler solution to get down you know what i mean get something done so it's not cheating it's not cheating i'd say most of my meals come out of those only because you know it just depends if i'm like i'm cooking for someone and i want it whatever then i'll use like a you know i use those um like cast iron pots pans whatever slow cook it in the oven i mean it's the same thing it's just a little bit more cleanup yeah but i mean i I throw down with the pressure cooker a lot i throw down with the crock pot a lot it just depends have you, you know? got any into foil tins with foil top on the traeger slow cooking on like a 225 degree i've done it no i and i know uh i i think i last time uh we were somewhere you did something on it and i was like oh that's pretty legit i do it every once in a while but i haven't really 
going crazy with I it. I do a lot of moose roasts like that and a lot of elk roasts, deer roasts. Yeah. I don't I don't know like what why it's in my head that it's cheating to use a pressure cooker. Because yeah. it's so good. The food yeah. and, and it's like it's all it does all the work. Yeah, and it's like half the time. You <laughs> it's know? half the time and it pretty much cleans itself. Yeah. As long as you don't let it sit overnight. I mean it's a awesome so, tool. You know you were talking about uh like spam and preserved stuff. Do you do much canned meat? Tons of I mean in my history of waterfowl hunting i've done a lot of jarred goose yeah canned meats i mean i love it yeah i mean it's an easy way to have like that pulled pork style whatever in about and then you just pop the can out and take it camping take it hunting yeah whatever do whatever with it it's yeah. great taco it meat is. and it's yeah. great sandwich meat yeah and it's great nacho meat burrito meat um but i do want to take you up on this corned elk yeah because i love corned beef and eggs i love i mean i like hash i like mixing it with the right kind of potato and onion mix and bell pepper you know i love i would love to try that and yeah. learn that recipe corned beef i've never i don't think i've ever made a actual corned beef lots of pastrami yeah but i've never and it's pretty much pretty long yeah i think just a little bit longer brining process with the corned beef you know you gotta let it sit for a week or so um but yeah. so you're here to tell me that the one product that you would go to your grave with is the vacuum sealer Ooh. Or do you like them all? I mean, I like the chamber vacs. They're pretty legit. And then um, a good grinder is worth its weight in gold. Because in the past, I've had shitty grinders. Yeah. And when you're like, I'm going to process an elk, and you're like, you have a shitty grinder, and you're cleaning the thing every 30 seconds, like that one-and-a-half-horse grinder, you could literally flip it on, and it sucks the elk off the mountain and processes it for you, you know? I mean, you can gr I've grind I ground through, like, an elk and – I don't know what five minutes, ten, 10 minutes when it's already already prepped. It just it just motors through it. It's pretty awesome. We that that makes a big difference. And I mean, like ground is probably one of the best cuts too because you can take anything, and it's like you can make burgers. You can make, you can make so much with it. Tacos, burrito. Like it's just it's more of like the everyday cut is just burger. You know. Yeah, and that and when you talk about the speed of this thing and the safety of it and exactly how much work you can get done in a short amount of time. We're in Nebraska, again, same outfitter. I'm with an NFL football player named Justin Smiley, and he looks at me and goes, where's all the meat? And I'm like, that was all of it. And he's like, no, we killed like 70 geese in the last two days. I'm like, because we had a huge shop full of people, like this big, long table we're feeding. I, I'm up there with a flat iron and just making tacos, you know, like yeah. our, our street taco deal. And he's like, there's no way that's all of them. I'm like, that's every one of them. I mean, Remy, I was like reaching in, grabbing it by two hands. Like yep. you pick up a football on a fumble, putting it in that grinder, using the plunger, mixing the fat in there. And I mean, it's unbelievable how it chews it up. It takes longer to clean the thing than to grind an elk. Way longer. Yeah. And it's still not that hard to no, clean. No, it's not. No, you just, you just got to take it apart and wash it. Yeah. You know, you and then what, you know what I love is going that rough grind, the bigger one, and yep. then fine grinding it. And I mean, it literally is butcher shop quality ground beef looking meat. oh yeah and nobody can tell the difference yeah if you put that taco up against anybody and they're and you tell them it's elk they might spit it out or you tell them it's duck or goose they might spit it out there's no and i'll mean this i'll i'll tell this to anybody i love pulled goose sandwiches but there's no finer way to eat a canada goose than a street taco with this meat grinder 100%. there's no there's no better way to eat it no there's no better. The quality of the meat is people will tell you that's the best taco. I have so many people on video. That's the best taco I've ever had. Not bragging on my taco skills, bragging on that that, that meat is that quality and you can season it up the way you want it. Oh, yeah. And it's as good as beef any day of the week. Yeah, for sure. 100%.
What's your next meal? Are you hungry? I'm hungry right I'm now. I'm hungry, yeah. Yeah. What am I having for dinner? That's a good question. Something. I don't Because you're cooking for three now. Is there another baby on the way soon? Not yet. Are you going to have another one, though? Oh, yeah, we'll have another one. Good little boy. Yeah. Little boy. I don't know. We'll see. Whatever comes out. Well, it doesn't matter. Out. I'm saying they're all going to live yeah. off the land. They're all <laughs> exactly. going to love hunting. My daughter's fired up. She uh, comes to me the day before yesterday, and um, this time of year is always significant in hunting with her and I because her first turkey hunt ever was in Nevada. Not a whole lot of gobbles go on in Nevada at certain yeah. days, right? <laughs> For sure. So I'm like, can we go turkey hunting again? And she's like, mm, I want to go pew, pew. She goes, pew, pew, a coyote. I said, all right, let's go call some coyotes. So that's what our next little mission nice. is when they start coming to the call again. Yeah. We were thinking about going Saturday, but the winds are going to be like 45 miles an hour, and yeah. that's, that's that's not, not even worth going coyote hunting in. Yeah. It's not, I'm not going to hunt in 45-mile-an-hour winds. But what else? Anything else to end this little uh, discussion on the meat your maker? I love the product. I love the people that work for them, the quality, the customer service, the personnel, the mission, the culture. Awesome brand, yeah? Oh, for sure. Yeah, awesome guys. Awesome company, awesome products for sure. Will we be able to see this elk hunt unravel on videos that out there? Yeah, somewhere it's on right my, now? Uh, you can watch it on my YouTube channel, uh, Remy Warren. And what did he end up scoring? Three ninety. Jeez, oh, that's a be- uh, elk of a lifetime. Oh yeah, absolutely. Three ninety. Yeah, on a whim. Crazy. Yep. On a whim. Like, yeah. I mean, like my goal was to you know, like I don't know, even on a limited entry best unit you know i'd probably shoot anything over 350 especially when you're like bow hunting and trying to film it and whatever Heck i was yeah. like dude three that's that's insane 390 is a, a bull to retire on oh for sure and i know that you don't have that mentality because every bull means something but yeah if you're a trophy hunter that's a bull of a lifetime for sure 400s are hard to come by yeah very hard and most very of them hard. are killed in the rifle season yeah I don't know of a lot of 400-inch. You know way more 400-inch archery bulls than I do, but I know a lot of 400-inch rifle bulls. I mean, all the ones I know of are rifle kills. Yeah. They're kill. Have you seen the uh, some of the mule deer that have been coming out of Hermosillo the last year? Yeah. Holy smokes. Crazy. Something's going on in the dirt down there. For sure. They're getting bigger. Oh, yeah. They're getting bigger and bigger. I think it's just got guys that have better management practices. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. That's Remy Warren. The Foul Life Podcast, his podcast is Live Wild with Remy Warren. Find it on all of the platforms. Go subscribe. I'm going to be a guest on there this fall, I hope. I get the invite. Could be my first guest. I would love to. I'd be honored. Well, yeah, we'll we'll do it. I'm sure you'll have Rogan on there first. You got any plans of going to Austin to see him soon at all? Uh, Yeah, I'll be there next week, actually. You're going on a show next week? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Talk about elk hunting? talk about this hunt right here who knows yeah i have no clue so check out remy's upcoming episode of the joe rogan experience i'm chad belling the foul life podcast thank you for all the downloads the subscriptions and thank you to meet meet your maker find them on all of your social media platforms and i'm telling you get this product get the grinders get the vacuum sealers get the mixers get the dehydrators awesome product line great quality be unorthodox, think outside the box, and live wild like Remy Warren does. Thank you all. Thank you, Remy. Yeah, thank you.